And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. Yes. And this week is part two of what we did last week, Raincoat Killer. Mm-hmm. So we are still in South Korea. And yep. Yeah. Honestly, I else? actually did not think of anything to make this week. Okay, how do we feel about ranch with pizza? How do you like ranch on pizza? It's okay. I love it. Do you like ketchup on your pizza? Absolutely not. What about pineapple on your pizza? Okay, yeah. 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 Okay, some people really despise pineapple on their pizza. No, it's good. And you're all This is going nowhere. This is going nowhere. I just wanted to know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all over the place today. (laughs) In other words, I don't have a bake for this week. Well, this is part two, so it carries over. Yeah. So Asian, I just I don't know too much Asian cuisine. Yeah. I just really encourage everyone to try kimchi. Just don't remember the fact that we shared about kimchi last episode. Because that would kind of turn you off of it. Also, I was kind of talking about it like I was turning you off of it. But I encourage everyone to try it. Just because my taste buds don't appeal to it doesn't mean that others won't as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. okay. Just start it. <laughs> All right. So we ended last week with. <laughs> I just forgot his name. Yu Young Chul escaping uh, from the police station. So. What happened after that is he had the bright idea to go meet up with his mother and his sister at home. And so he went to his house and changed his clothes and threw all of his tools and evidence that he had in his apartment in a nearby dumpster. So you're, he's trying real hard here, clearly. Honestly. And he's on also, a run, goes back to his apartment. Yeah. Also, his mom and sister, as far as I know, they didn't, it didn't say anything in the documentary, but it it sounds like they kept it hush hush that they saw him. It doesn't sound like they reported him or anything. So that's great. Maybe they didn't know exactly what he was doing. Yeah. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, they probably didn't understand the extent of it because I mean, there is a certain level of crime which i feel like is forgivable between family members like hmm. that's a good conversation do you think if i came up to you and i said hey i stole this money please like cover for me and then the police asked you hey did casey tell you anything would you would you uh say anything to police Probably. <laughs> Are you a jerk? <laughs> you would wrap me out. <laughs> if I stole a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars? No. Two hundred? <laughs> It'd have to be a really like like, like five thousand stole from the Louvre or something. <laughs> but I don't I don't I don't think they'd come hunting you down for <laughs> A hundred dollars, two hundred dollars. 
So you're telling me that if I killed one person, you'd rat me out? Yeah. I'd rat you out. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rat you out too. Good. But for stealing so. money, for stealing money, you'd rat me out? Again, it depends. I don't want to go to jail for being your accomplice. <laughs> I mean, I do my best, but. I wouldn't rat you out. <gasps> you're so I nice. Wouldn't. I couldn't. You're my girl. Clearly, neither of us can steal because we just had this story about how guilty you were for (laughs) money as a tip. (laughs) Yes, I do not like big tips. I feel guilty if I if I ever when I was working at the funnel cake stand and they'd give me like too big of a tip, like toss a 20 in the tip jar instead of like for a two dollar. I'd be like, no, no, this this isn't right. (laughs) This does not equate. (laughs) I made you a poorly made funnel cake. Yeah. So I, I, both of us would be bad criminals anyway. So. No, honestly, one time I um was taking a math test, and I cheated, and then after, and I got away with it. But afterwards, I felt so guilty that I went up to the teacher and told her I cheated. (laughs) (laughs) Casey, seventh grade, Mrs. Lokink. Oh my god. Oh my god, I remember her. Yes. That was seventh grade, right? I think so. That was, yeah. Yep. I felt so guilty. <laughs> Isn't right. Are you kidding? I cheated on math all the time. I mean my <laughs> teachers are listening to this. Sorry. <laughs> well math I, I cheated on for sure. I cause I sucked at math. <laughs> I wouldn't write you out for cheating. I wouldn't write you out for cheating either. It's a right oh, yeah, of I cheated off of you. Me? Yeah, I remember sometimes before English class. Oh, English? I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, because we had lunch together right before English. Yep. And so I'd sit there during lunch and do my homework. <laughs> I'm a bad kid. Oh my God. <laughs> Who doesn't cheat in high school? Okay. Yeah, I didn't cheat in college. No. I wasn't close to anyone enough to cheat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm I kidding. No I didn't have to because I was actually, by co- by the time college came around, I was pretty good at my class. You had yourself together. But yeah. Well, yeah. I think it takes like, you have to be, se- if you want to get through college, you have to be serious about it. And like with high school, like I just wasn't as serious about it, I guess. We are way Ooh. off subject. Yeah. Anyway, this is so let's going go back. Home. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't even realize we had like derailed that much. I'm like, oh yeah, we're still recording. I thought we were just talking. Wow, we just went way on a tangent. We never oh do that that bad. Okay. Anywho, let's get back. So yeah. a manhunt started, as one would. And he was look, he was being searched for everywhere. I cannot get the words out now. Um, and there were random stops in the city and people were being searched. And it was looking pretty hopeless because it's a huge city. He could be anywhere. And all of a sudden, they see him simply crossing the street. And he was rubbing an egg on his eye to get some, like, to try and get, like, swelling down. So it looked like he'd been hit. 
And so all of the cops, because this is literally a scene out of a movie. All the cops were like on the same street because it was like a busy, busy street. And they Mm -hmm. all just like swarmed him instantly. And again, he was like fiercely resisting, but they managed to arrest him again and bring him back to the police station. So like it's weird because he fights so hard but he's so stupid like right i mean i guess we already said korea's not that big of a place but also you probably shouldn't go back to your apartment after you escape yeah. and then just casually walk down the street right beat up. Like, of course you're you look like you're gonna stand out yeah. yeah so back in the interrogation room He says, oh, thank God you caught me. I would have gone on killing hundreds. So this is a weird back and forth where he like clearly didn't want to be arrested. But now that he is, he's like, oh, my God, thank you. Like attitude change, which is weird. So bizarre. I don't even know what to think of that. Yeah. Um, So the forensic officer who has been in charge of this whole case, um, just a reminder, her name is Kim Hee-suk, and she came to see him, but when she came in the room, he was instantly just furious that a woman was in the room, and he kept saying, like, why is a woman here? What is she doing here? Like, does she know me? And, like, asking all sorts of questions, and was just very, very frantic. So, Clearly, they're all like, well, he clearly very much resents women. And they had to ask her to leave. But she stood on, like, the other side of the glass so she could watch and listen. But he couldn't see her. So He's got um, some kind of, like, mommy issues. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not mommy issues. But he's <laughs> I don't know. Like... He did seem to target women a lot, and then and then a woman's in the room. Yeah, and he that just like really sends him off the rails. I don't get it. Yeah, it's the amount of disrespect or low regard he has for women, I guess. Yeah, um, he drew maps of the four elderly murder cases that were like the earlier. Um murders that he committed before like the spree of like women if you remember and he this time he had like he was giving fake details last time to try and make it look like it wasn't him but this time he had details of weapons and locations that only he could have known if he truly was the killer so he's kind of dropped that like false pretense that he had last time he was arrested And he was also very boastful this time as well. He kept saying things like, if I say this, the world would be turned upside down. Like the whole world's going to be paying attention to this crime. Like, listen, listen to what I'm about to say kind of thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he knows that they want to hear it. Like, yeah. He knows that everything that they say will be, that he says will be written down and talked about mm-hmm. just hanging on to that yeah it's very and he has like this kind of manifesto thing and 
any killer who writes a manifesto is incredibly self-involved and thinks yes. they're very self-righteous and everything. Does it not make any sense? I feel like so many manifestos make zero sense. It was really... So I have some quotes from his a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll hear a lot of it if you watch the documentary. Like, it's kind of his narration of his manifesto is kind of sprinkled throughout it. It's very much about, like, his personal, like, psyche of why he thinks he has to do it. And that's kind of what it's, what really is, is, like, about. It's very weird still. But it's kind of, it doesn't, like, like, there are some, I forget who... But yeah, like you were saying, like the ramblings about random stuff that has nothing to do with anything. But mm-hmm. this one kind of does. It's kind of about like his brain of why he mm-hmm. thinks he has to kill. Yeah. I mean, that would actually be really interesting to me to read because that's always what I question with people is the reason behind and the why and like what kind of mental illness they could be suffering from. And like, yeah, I'm really interested in that side of it because it's so hard for me to believe that someone just does does something like that without having some sort of diagnosis or a big reason right. why or something. I have a, such a, a hard time. Mm-mm-mm. Another thing he said was that he had killed dozens of women because it was him punishing them in the name of God. It's his God-given right to punish women just for being women you know who gave him that assignment not god (laughs) no literally and like uh, oh my god people who like do things like that and say it's like in the name of god you clearly have like no understanding of religion at all right actually and you're just crazy yeah um he then said he couldn't stop killing until he buried a victim and that his mind would just be like frenzy and focused and like this like itching like feeling inside that wasn't like would not like abate until he had buried them and then after he buried them he could get a good night's sleep and it was like he quote won over his demons I'm like, actually, that is the complete opposite. That is you succumbing to your demons by killing somebody. Right, right. That is not you beating them. So that's another, like, glimpse into his brain of how he describes it. Like, like he literally, it's this force he can't stop is kind of how he thinks it is. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, an it is an obsession to him he's fixated on killing people Mm -hmm. like a lot of people with mental illness get these fixations and so his is literally fixated on killing people yeah all the investigators are pretty pretty much like this is 100 absolutely him no doubt about it they know so Mm -hmm. they ask him to take them to where the bodies are because they want to find the victim so they can return them to their families properly bury them and everything right um so Shoal takes them to a bamboo grove that he buried the bodies in and i said this in the last episode they were all buried together in like one spot in this big kind of 
big burial site, and he had marked the ground with a red bottle cap, so he knew where it was. No. And this, okay, so this next part, like, literally watching the documentary, it, like, oh, okay. So Me as too. they started, it's not gross, but it's just, like, I don't know, you'll see. Um, as they started digging, a torrential downpour started, like, really bad rain. And Officer Yang Pilju said to him, quote, this is your fault, like the rain. The fury and cries of the women you killed are sending down this rain upon you. And then right after he said that, they found the first body. No way. I just think that's like, I don't know, like watching it, that like gave me chills. Like that quote, saying that to him. You know, and that's almost like God speaking through him. Yeah. That man, you're like, I feel like that's, that's kind of, it's kind of like him saying this was not in my name this was right yes and so it's kind of like i feel like that happens a lot you know god will speak through people i feel like Mm -hmm. that probably happened probably (laughs) i mean what a thing to say as Mm -hmm. it starts raining and then you find the first victim like right that what a string of events yeah Mm -hmm. that's nuts um, so they found a total of 19 bodies at this time, and Chol was able to tell them, like, obviously they were chopped up, but he was able to really, really remember, like, this body part belongs to this person, and it goes here and here, and, like, could, like, put everything together. And remembered all the details, like, oh, this is how I did it, like, at this time. And suddenly starts, like, pouring out this information that's extremely detailed. So he had a very, very good memory because most people would be like, oh, I don't, maybe I don't remember, like, forgetting something. But he didn't. And it was just, it's very detailed. And also that's very, very gory thing to have to listen to as he's telling you exactly how he did it yeah that would be really hard to to have to listen to that as as the investigators yeah and all of the officers in the documentary talk about how extremely traumatizing the case was and how traumatizing this day in particular was for all of them um one of them described the smell of the bodies like seeping into their clothes and their mind and like they just like can't forget how it smells and it was like on their clothes for a really long time oh my gosh oh i would burn those clothes yeah it's i awful. mean yeah like we've all smelled something so bad that you can't you feel like you can't even get that smell out of your nose mm-hmm. and then you just keep on like it's like weird because you get whiffs of it throughout the day but it's really just like your memory yeah and just knowing, like, that happens to me sometimes at work. It bot like, you know, whenever I smell something gross, I mean, it bothers me for the rest of the day because I keep on remembering it. But just knowing, like, what that smell was really must just mess with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would never, I never want to know what that smells like, ever. Um. The forensic officer, Kim, her hand, she had to videotape 
everything. And her hand was shaking like really bad um, because she was crying as she was filming it. And she says like, she'll still think about it and cry like to this, like that day. Like it's just very traumatic. And then she also, one of the officers said, you did think like a lot of people think we as officers are used to this and kind of desensitized to it, but it's not true. Like things like this really stay with us as well. So that'd be really hard. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that would really prepare them for what they saw. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they might've seen a few other situations with dead bodies, but that just must've been really traumatizing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as they were taking Yu Young Chul around, they were having him uh, like find the bodies. Obviously, there were a lot of cameras and things, so they wanted to protect his identity. And they had a mask on his face that like went up to his eyes, and this yellow raincoat, kind of half on and half wrapped around him, which I, is why he's called the raincoat killer. Because when people saw him on TV for the first time, he was like wearing this raincoat kind of to try and hide his shape and like what he looked like and everything. Oh, excuse me. Um, and then he said on TV when asked, like, why did you do this? He said, I hope this teaches women a lesson that they shouldn't be sluts. I also hope this teaches the rich a lesson as well. I did it. Yeah. First of all, like, F you, sir. Oh, my God. And I totally, didn't I say that? I said he thinks he's a vigilante. Yes. That's exactly what it was, was he's attacking the rich. But then, but then what about like the random people on the street? Wasn't he like going after them? Yeah. So that they were women though too. So like it it continues like his just hatred of women. He thinks we're all sluts. (laughs) Uh, What you gonna do? What you gonna do? (laughs) And then he also said, I did it to kill society. When I came to the bitter realization that money was all that mattered, I thought of myself as enforcing the very punishment myself whatever you're you're you have no authority but sure whatever and he says there was only one moment that made my hair stand on end it was the moment my son called when I was in the middle of chopping up a body so he has a very young son who called him in the midst of this and he says that's the only time he ever felt like guilty or like oh shoot I shouldn't do this. Why? Okay. That's just like really sickening to even think about and picture like. Yeah. And for it to be enough to even snap him out of it. I mean, and that poor son, like he's just talking to his dad. He doesn't know what his dad is doing. Yeah. Oh. It's disgusting. So Detective Kim found out that the fingerprints were too decomposed to identify the victims, and it would take 15 days for DNA analysis to come in to ID them. But she said it's, that is way too long, and 
we can't wait that long to ID these victims. Like their families deserve to know they deserve to be found. So she began work to find their fingerprints, even though everyone told her, don't do it. It's a complete waste of your time. And she, oh, (laughs) she started to try and lift the prints, but the rotting fluid kept dripping onto the fingers and she would have to start over. And it took her 161 tries to get just the first victim's fingerprint. But she kept going and kept going and was able to ID all of the victims that very day. Wow. Yeah. That's determination. Yeah. I really, that's, I respect her for that. Like everyone told her no, but she was like, I'm going to do it. And she did. And it was going to take how many days? 15, you said? Yeah. So, I mean, that's really good for her. I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, 15 days really is not that long. Yeah. But for her, she's like, as soon, I mean, it's already been too long. They're to the point where they're decomposing. So it's been a long Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And she says um, that at one point she was so distraught that this like wasn't working out it was so hard and she said she like really can't remember but um she started praying over the victims bodies and like she even held one of their hands while she was praying and she says that um the victims and like god heard her prayer and was that's how she was able to get the fingerprints off of them that day she finally got it figured it out yeah I just think that's crazy. That is crazy. But also, like, amazing. It is kind of crazy how much God is being brought into this and faith and everything. I know. Yeah. Um, so then they found the murder weapon, the one that was so unique that they couldn't identify it um, all this time. They found a red sledgehammer near his house, Um, which they were pretty sure it was, but they had to prove that it was the murder weapon. And it was different because he had modified it from a typical sledgehammer to fit in his hand and be like the perfect and proper weight specifically for him to like be able to swing it. Forensics confirmed the shape fit the wounds on the victim's for the sledgehammer but without the dna it couldn't be proved so they took the sledgehammer apart and scraped the inside where the handle meets the head of the sledgehammer because they figured he wouldn't pull it apart and wash inside it every single time he'd be too lazy and that the blood would have like seeped in there so they did find a lot of blood and it helped connect him to the victims um, even of like previously unsolved ones. So they were able to I'd connect him. Oh, wait, okay, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to think. So with previously unsolved just by the blood? Yeah. So they found like DNA, like blood of um, on Jason, who was a man who was found dead in a burnt van. And they had no idea who did it, but now he's he can be connected to him because he was on 
his blood was in the murder weapon, on the murder weapon. So. With all of those people, I just don't get it because it's like that must be a lot of blood on top of blood on top of blood, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how do you take each layer of blood and, and then make see if that's <laughs> someone else's? Sorry, that's Jelly Bean. Mm-hmm. Says hi. No, that that's someone else's blood. You know what I mean? Yeah, like how like do you pick it, it drop apart by drop? I just don't get it because once if if he's murdered several people with that weapon, then there'd mm-hmm. be a lot of people's blood in there. Yeah, yeah. So then I just don't know how you like once once blood is on top of blood on top of blood. How do you identify? It because it's all mixed together at that point, right? I don't know, but <laughs> they're clearly able to distinguish it, you know? That's crazy to me. Yeah. With the case of An Jason, the previously unsolved one, what happened with that case was Chol impersonated a police officer and told An to give him all the money he had for a police emergency. But An questioned if he was really an officer, so Chul thought, well, I should get rid of him because he's questioning me. And he cut off the man's hands, threw them in the sea, and then set fire to his van, which is completely, completely different from, like, anything he's done before. So obviously they didn't know that was him because it's too completely different things um also just totally crazy as well and um something that was like really sad was on's brother came to the crime scene with a knife to try and kill chul because he was so like distraught and angry um the cops stopped him and they were like he's not worth it like don't do it and his brother went it's his own brother, you said? The man who's who was murdered. Oh, okay. His brother. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So his brother went to up to the mountains to kill himself. And he heard crying coming from like this abandoned box. And it was a puppy. And he took the puppy home and like decided, I don't want to kill myself. Like I'm going to take care of this puppy. Like... Oh my god, what a what a story. Wait, what? Yeah. a random part of the story. I mean, it's very sweet. I know. Once again, divine intervention. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's crazy. What? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I so, you know, I'm sure that that story was circulating quite a bit. I wonder if the people that abandoned the puppy ever got wind of that story. And, you know, they're, they're really shit crappy people for um, <laughs> abandoning that puppy in the first place. Literally. But then they actually saved a life. Well, they That's saved- true. That is Isn't true. That's but so weird. To, the way. Trying to murder and abandon a puppy. They actually saved two lives. Oh, the puppy my and the God. Man. What a. That this is crazy. <laughs> the so way crappy people actually ended up saving a life. Yeah. 
Can you believe? Oh. <clears throat> um. So there was another death that you, Yongchul, confessed to. Uh, he confessed to the death of a woman who had been beaten to death in the street near her home. However, um, it was found out that one of the police officers told Chul that they would provide for his son through college if he confessed to this murder. Um, because it did not match any of the others. There was really no evidence that it was actually him. And it really wasn't him. But they were just trying to tag it on there. To, like, say, oh, oh on. another one solved, you know? Yeah. So, of course, Chol was like, I'll agree to that. You're going to take care of my son. You're going to provide for him. So he agreed to do it, and he did confess to it. But And he, he already murdered so many other people, so it's really not going to make much of a difference. Just carry on his legacy that much more. Like, it's not going to do him any harm. Right. And the day of his hearing, a woman ran up the steps to try and attack Chol, and she tried to hit him with an umbrella, and she was kicked down the stairs by an officer, like on live TV and everything. Ooh, that's aggressive. Yeah, and she screamed at them, at the officers, that her daughter would be alive if he had been caught in January. So this was a victim's mother who they just kicked down the stairs. <laughs> and I'm laughing. I mean, I'm laughing, but more so in shock. Yeah. Like that's just horrible. Yeah. I so mean, yeah, okay, you don't you don't come up and a- attack the person on the but uh, no words. That's just really a horrible thing that just happened. Yeah, it's bad. And some detectives were like really horrified that an officer had just kicked a victim's mother and they were trying to apologize and sympathize with her, but a lot of people got in trouble for that uh, many of the officers were reprimanded Kang Dae-wong who was the team leader he had just solved this case but because that happened and he was the officer in charge even though he didn't do it he was demoted um so like no way I would be so pissed at the officer who did it I was like you stupid like <sighs> can you imagine how that would be like he had nothing to do with it he tried he was one of the officers who tried to like apologize to her and stuff like that and he he just solved this huge case should have gotten a promotion yeah and was right. demoted. yeah that's messed so, up um then there was like this huge public outcry after that happened um against the police like and then then that oh my god there were internal investigations as to why the case was not solved earlier, and it really changed Korea's entire police system after that incident. Like, that incident was, like, the catalyst of many, many laws changing, investi- the way investigations are handled, changing um, what information they share with the public, and all these things. It's, uh, in the documentary, they really detail out more how it changed right but i just think that's crazy this case and specifically that incident changed a lot for the better like yeah and the it changed in a good way helping um yeah i mean it is hard because 
someone is attacking the person that you're protecting slash escorting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a little bit of um, excessive force. But also, I mean, was it was it a full on like full force kick down the stairs or was it a shove and then she tripped down the stairs and then no you can watch the video it was a kick down the stairs yeah like into her stomach and come on it's a like it's a woman with an umbrella it's not a man with a gun right you don't have to use that much force Mm -hmm. uh so in december 2004 Yu Young Chol was convicted of 20 murders in total. He was not convicted of the woman's murder that the police tried to get him to confess to with that bribe about his son. He was not, that was not one of his 20 murders. Um, and he was sentenced to death and he is still, as of today, still currently on death row in South Korea. No way. Yeah. Do you Those know th- when they... Um... Do they use the lethal injection? Uh, let me look it up. What are they saying? Okay, so this says that hanging is the mode of execution. However, there is a moratorium on executions, which is um, sort of like a hold on them since 1998. Oh. Um. And there's been debate back and forth between like the constitutional court of Korea, whether it, the capital punishment did not violate human dignity or not, like whether they should get rid of it officially or not. So, so people that are on death row are just kind of waiting to see if that, that's going to be, they're still like, that's weird that they'd still be convicting or um, sentencing people to death. Yeah. Even if it's um, currently being discussed whether or not it's humane. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Okay, I weird. agree that I don't think that death by hanging is very humane. I don't think that that's really the way to do it, to be honest. Yeah. Personally. Personally, I don't so think So basically, it's, it's more like life in prison at this point. Because it's, it's very... Yeah. But it's a little different because they're on death row, but they're not going to be executed, most likely. Yeah. Oh, hey, I have um, I have a little factoid oh. for um, people um, that get a life sentence in the United States, typically. Oh, yeah. A lot. I mean, it varies state to state, but um, I, per one of my friends slash coworkers that works in a used to work in a prison 40 years typically means or what am i saying um a life sentence is typically 40 years oh my gosh that's all that it is so when people get two life sentences and equates to 80 years oh i don't like that people get like a bunch of life life sentences yeah because then it equals that many years isn't that interesting? That's so weird. Mm-hmm. Why call it that? Why call it a life sentence when it's not for life? Right, exactly. So what does it mean if they're like 40 years to life? Or you know how that sometimes happens? 
Yeah, you're right. They're like 20 years to life. What does that mean? Well, we'll have to, that's another question for another day, but. Yeah, maybe I'll ask her. I'll ask her. Maybe we'll have her on as a guest. <laughs> yes. Tell us all the things fun. we don't know. Lots of fun stories. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I've got. Oh. Uh, well then. That is the end of that case. He is sitting on death row for an indefinite amount of time. He's not that old, so he'll probably be there for a very long time. Yeah, in his in his twenties. I mean, I wonder if he wanted to get on death row or if he wants to live life in prison. Yeah, because whatever he wants, then we will do the opposite. <laughs> we right. <laughs> Because yeah. I am definitely a part of the Korean jail system. <laughs> yes, I am. Jilly woke up halfway through that. That's why all of a sudden you started hearing her. And now she's yeah. being a little also, I did make a mistake. Last time I said he was in his 20s, he was 30. He was like 33. Oh. So let me correct myself now. They believed he was in his 20s. And then I forgot to say oh. his actual age. Okay. My bad. He's actually in his 30s. Well, yeah. So. so he's like 51 now. That's not that old. Still has a long life ahead yeah. of him. Mm-hmm. hmm boo Well, that was very interesting. Thank you so much for doing all that research, Emily. What is the um, documentary's name? The Raincoat Killer on Netflix. All right. So if anyone it's wants more information or to get the heebie-jeebies, it's the raincoat killer. All right. Well, on that note, I'm Casey. I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder. Murder.